you know, I missed my chance to sit where you're sitting. Uh, because I was an undergraduate at the University of Rochester back in the days when there was still a physical education requirement, a requirement that I did not fulfill. I thought about fulfilling it right up until about the middle of my senior year. Uh, that's when I was accepted to graduate school and suddenly recognized a profound truth, which was that for the rest of my life, nobody was ever going to ask me whether I had a college degree. So instead of signing up for golf lessons in the phys ed department, I marched over to Lattimore Hall and I withdrew from the college. Uh, that had an unexpected payoff because after I finished graduate school, I got a job as what's called a postdoctoral fellow. So my income was technically called fellowship income. And at that time in the United States, fellowship income was taxable unless you were a candidate for a degree. So I called Suzanne O'Brien over in the Dean's office, the same Suzanne O'Brien who had tried to talk me out of dropping out of college. Uh, and I asked her whether after all these years, the University of Rochester still considered me a candidate for a degree. And she said that they did not, but that for $25, they would. Uh, so I wrote my $25 check and that turned out to be a very good investment because for the next three years, I did not pay any taxes. Uh, a few years later, I got a call from an IRS agent who had some questions about those years and wanted some evidence that I was really a serious candidate for a degree. I asked him what kind of evidence that would be. And he said, maybe if I enrolled in a course or something. Well, that was no problem because by then I was back at the University of Rochester so it was very convenient for me to enroll in Economics 207, which I happened to be teaching at the time. Uh, I received a grade of A and the curve was even tougher than usual that semester. So my path to this room was very different from yours. But what matters now is not the path to this room, it's the path from this room. And I think your economics training will serve you very well as you go forth on that great adventure. Let me tell you why. First, a lot of your fellow graduates, the ones who are graduating today from other departments, are setting out under the burdensome misapprehension that they have somehow got to choose between a life of social responsibility and a life of material success. But you have studied economics. So you know that that's a false dichotomy. In fact, you know that the truth is very much uh, closer to the opposite. You know that by and large, and with some important exceptions, the best way to know that you're doing something useful is that somebody is willing to pay you to do it. We have the good fortune to live in a world where material success comes primarily to people who are perceptive about the needs of others and ambitious to fulfill those needs. The true dichotomy isn't between social responsibility and material success. It's between self-absorption and engagement with the world. You are free to spend your night life in the narcissistic pursuit of self-knowledge, provided you recognize that nobody's going to pay you for it. Or if you prefer, you can spend your life trying to understand and improve the world around you. If you choose that route, then not only will you be 
more materially successful than your inward directed friends, but paradoxically, you'll probably get closer than they will to the self-knowledge that they are so assiduously seeking, because self-knowledge is a lot like happiness. It comes most readily as a byproduct from the pursuit of something else and something greater. The larger moral is that doing good in the world means responding to other people's needs, which requires information that as a rule, you can only get from prices. Now, maybe you think that's obvious. Maybe you think it's almost too obvious to mention, but that's because you have studied economics. So you know things that other people don't know. For example, we've just been through a pretty crazy 14 months. And one of the craziest things that happened in those months is that when vaccines finally became available, the authorities tried to allocate them without using prices. Think about that. Some people love to get out and dance. Some people love to sit home and read. Some people can only work well at the office. Some people do fine working from home. Any sane allocation system would account for all that. Instead, we had a system that ignored it completely. To get your spot in line, you had to sit in front of a computer day after day, clicking and reclicking and hoping you would find an available appointment. If you got lucky and managed to snag a spot near the front of the line, you were not allowed to sell that spot to somebody who needed it more desperately. That person missed out on weeks of dancing or weeks of productivity at the office, and you missed out on a chance to get a little help buying groceries, which depending on your circumstances, you might have valued a lot more than a quick vaccination shot. But it gets worse. At the very height of all this craziness, we had a talk here in our department from a prominent economist who was advising the authorities on how to allocate vaccines using all kinds of sophisticated algorithms, none of which made any use of prices. When I asked him why, he said he knew from experience that the instant you say the word price, anybody who's not an economist stops listening. So even though, though he knew how to solve the allocation problem or knew one of the key tools for solving it, he didn't dare reveal that solution because he feared nobody would listen. You have studied economics, so you know that it's insane to try to allocate a scarce valuable resource without using prices. That is true, it is profound, it has enormous implications for human happiness. You know it, and most people don't. I hope that unlike our speaker, you'll shout that truth from the rooftops occasionally, even if you are afraid that nobody's listening. Here's another thing you've learned by studying economics. Extraordinary rewards accrue only to those who have something extraordinary to offer. More precisely, you learned that under competition, Producers without something special to offer are subject to a zero profit condition. That bit of pure theory has very real practical consequences, namely, you are unlikely to succeed by imitating the successes of others. If those successes were easy to imitate, everybody would imitate them and they would garner no rewards. Instead, you got to look around you, identify needs that nobody else has identified, think of solutions nobody else has thought of, or find genuinely new ways to make people understand that your solutions are worth adopting. Once again, if that bit of advice sounds obvious to you, 
It's only because you've absorbed your economics training more thoroughly than you realize. When you've been well-trained, it's easy to take your training for granted. Another thing you've learned, at least if we've all done our jobs well, is that trade is the engine of prosperity, both for you as an individual and for the world as a whole. You've learned too that the gains from trade are greatest when the trading partners are very different from each other. If they have different goals or different opportunities. If you love apples and have a whole lot of bananas, the best possible trading partner is a person who loves bananas and has a whole lot of apples. That means that you personally have a lot to gain by cultivating relationships with people who are as different from you as they can possibly be. People from different countries, different cultures, different backgrounds. It also means that the world as a whole has a lot to gain by making it easier for people to develop that kind of relationship. I trust you've learned that lesson in the classroom. I expect you've also learned it in your dorm rooms, in the cafeteria, on the quads, and more recently in Zoom sessions, as you interact with students from all over the world whose backgrounds are very different from yours and who have a lot to teach you just because of that. I hope many of those students will be your lifelong friends, and I hope those friendships will encourage you to think of yourself as a citizen primarily, not of your country, but of the world. Once again, you might think that the benefits of globalization are obvious, but they are surely not obvious to the great hordes of people who prioritize building physical and metaphorical walls to keep people apart. You know things that other people don't know. You know things that other people don't know. You know profound, important truths that other people don't know. And even more important, than those truths themselves is the way you know them. In economics, all our hard-won knowledge comes on the rests on the twin pillars of logic and evidence. Soaring rhetoric, appeals to prejudice, they don't win arguments in economics. Alternative facts don't win arguments in economics. Sometimes we slip up in the short run, but in the long run, we trust only in reasoning and observations that we can verify. That makes it imperative for us to listen to each other and to change our minds when we're wrong. And that, of course, is a pretty good policy even when you're not doing economics. So you've learned this above all. If logic and evidence run counter to your expectations, so much the worse for your expectations. If logic and evidence seem to defy common sense, then so much the worse for common sense. Common sense, after all, is what tells you that the earth is flat. I'll close with one quick quote from the great 19th century educational reformer, Horace Mann, who said this, in the middle of the last century, a great dispute arose among ast astronomers respecting one of the planets. Some in their folly commenced a war of words and wrote hot books against each other. Others in their wisdom improved their telescopes, and soon settled the question forever. Education should imitate the latter. Well, I believe that economic theory and economic habits of thought are like the lens of a telescope that will focus your thoughts, make them more precise and more accurate, and make you better able to serve yourself, your family, your community, 
and the world. You have learned more than you realize. So go forward with confidence and don't forget to thank your parents. They had a whole lot more to do with your success than you probably realize. And don't forget your old professors either. We wanna hear from you, drop us a line every now and then. Let us know how you're doing. We care, congratulations.